It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Good morning and welcome to The Michael Reed Show with me, Cahill Dervin. Coming up this morning, we'll be discussing the government's policy on climate change, property tax increases in County Meath, the decision to close 159 rural post offices, what can Fianna Fáil do in opposition to that, and how cancer patients are being harassed by debt collectors. All that to come, but we're going to begin this morning with the surprise news that broke on Friday night, and just after the papal visit, we are now to expect Donald Trump to Ireland in November. Joining me to discuss this, is Larry Donnelly, political columnist with the journal.ie and a law lecturer in NUI Galway. Larry, good morning to you. Good morning, Cahill. Were you as surprised as the rest of us at this news when it broke on Friday? Yeah, I was I was quite surprised. I mean, I think as Leo Varadkar said, it really kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, and that's the sense that I got as I read the news uh, over the weekend. So I'm surprised to hear that the president is coming here. But uh, at the end of the day, most American presidents in recent history have visited Ireland for a variety of different reasons, some of them political, some of them maybe not political. Uh, but, you know, look, he's going to be here, and I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be something to behold between the protests and how he conducts himself, that's for sure. The initial invitation was issued by Enda Kenny not long after Donald Trump took office. That's right, yeah. And, I mean, look, he got Enda Kenny got some flack about it, but the reality is what else could he do when, you know, he look, he, he had been in Washington. Uh, all he could do was invite the president. And, look, uh, I'm no fan of Donald Trump. A lot more, most people in this country are not. But the reality is the office of president of the United States is a lot bigger than one person, even if that person is Donald Trump. Uh, and I think it's I would welcome his visit here. And we do have a very checkered history with visits by American uh, presidents. I mean, Christy Moore sang about Ronald Reagan. George W. Bush got a little bit of flack, to say the least, when he was here. And we've developed a cottage industry around the visit of John F. Kennedy. Yeah, that's that's for sure. And I'm, I mean, I'm actively involved in that in terms of being co-director of the Kennedy Summer School, which is happening next week in New Ross, just to get the plug in. But I think that this visit is going to be interesting uh, in one sense for our own president here, Michael D. Higgins, because he was very active in leading the counter demonstration uh, at NUI Galway when President Reagan received an honorary degree in 1984. Uh, and I would imagine that the president finds Donald Trump even more objectionable uh, than he would have found Ronald Reagan. So that will be an interesting exercise in diplomacy. 
That's assuming, of course, that Michael D. Higgins is still President of Ireland on the the 12th of November, we believe, uh, Mr. Trump is going to visit us. Uh, Which brings another interesting uh, statistic or fact into play, because Sarah Louise Mulligan, who is one of the prospective presidential candidates, Larry, has said that she will dress as Marilyn Monroe to welcome President Trump to Ireland. Yeah, and I, again, I think that will be a sight to behold. I mean, I think, look, it's, uh, I don't know what to say really in re- response to that. Uh, but I think the, the, the broader, deeper point here is how, uh, the Irish politicians and the Irish establishment will greet Donald Trump. And again, uh, I think that Enda Kenny, uh, when he was in, in, in Washington conducted himself very well in terms of, uh, I suppose, honoring and upholding the relationship between our two countries, which is so sacred, uh, to so many of us. Uh, because of the family ties and other things that go back many generations, but at the same time uh, indicating that some of what President Trump stands for are d- definitely not the values that we treasure uh, in this country. I think it's a diplomatic tight, walking a diplomatic tightrope uh, in many instances is going to be fascinating to watch. There are so many interesting questions, as you say, that can be raised over this. One of them, of course, is corporation tax, and the Trump administration have been critical of the way we have dealt with foreign nationals, uh, foreign multinationals in this country. Yes, that, that's for sure. Uh, but again, while Donald Trump has many of his own things that really make him an outlier and make him very much, I suppose, on the hard right wing, the reality is that that pressure, that blowback was going to come no matter who was elected president of the United States. Uh, indeed, Hillary Clinton, some of her rhetoric uh, was very much in terms of bringing American jobs back home, etc. Uh, and it is very much that theme, that America first theme. Uh, that's the dominant rising school of thought within the United States, and it's in, part, in large part uh, has fueled the rise of Donald Trump. So, look, I don't think that these multinational companies are going to go are going to run home anytime soon. I think they're here for a lot of good reasons, and they've invested uh, an awful lot of money here. But the reality is, the emphasis on, in the United States is going to be where possible uh, to bring so-called American jobs home, and that's uh, I think Republican or Democrat, uh, you're not going to get a message any different than that. Have you seen any signs of that working as yet? Uh, well, I think in terms of, you know, there have been little spurts. I mean, President Trump takes to Twitter to announce them every time uh, that they, they happen. Uh, but look, I mean, you can't turn back the clock. You can't turn back globalization. But what I think most uh, Americans, and indeed most Democrats, this one included, would say is that, yes, we can't stop globalization, but we certainly shouldn't be incentivizing uh, companies to leave the United States, which, in fact, trade deals like NAFTA effectively did. Uh, so I think that's where most politicians are going to come at this issue from. How will President Trump uh, look on Brexit, do you think? Well, I, you know, frankly, his statements so far demonstrated absolute ignorance and a total lack of understanding uh, of what Brexit means and what it means for the EU and what it means indeed for the people uh, of the United Kingdom. Uh, I think generally speaking, he would favor this idea of sovereignty. I mean, it is a, a sort of a core principle for uh, the American right that uh, they don't like international organizations. They think that they're uh, bloated bureaucracies. They introduce regulations, et cetera. So his instinctive response will be uh, Brexit is a great thing. Uh, but again, as with most geopolitical issues, it's a lot more complicated than that. And while he might say one thing uh, in terms of his public re- rhetoric, uh, some of his advisors around him will be cautioning a more, uh, I suppose, open-minded or, or different, more cautious uh, tone. Whether he'll listen to that or not, that's anybody's guess. 
One of the really interesting aspects of all of this is how the Irish government itself reacts to the visit because already we've heard from John Halligan and Matty McGrath that they plan to be part of the protest. They don't plan to have anything to do with the President while he's here. And Charlie Flanagan has slapped them down this morning and told them that, uh, that boycotts are a thing of the past. Yeah, I mean, look, this could you know be another source or fissure for uh, this government relying in some ways it does upon uh, these independents and this rather motley crew of independents who are there. And I think you'd see divergent perspectives among them about how they're going to greet uh, the president. But look, ultimately here, I think that the, the, the tone uh, and the way that Enda Kenny went about it in Washington, D.C. is very much what I would expect uh, Leo Varadkar to do. Uh, when he's here, and we've seen Varadkar most recently uh, in terms of his meeting with Pope Francis, actually, another this is another diplomatic tightrope, uh, actually walked it quite well, and I have every reason to think that he'll do well uh, with President Trump. Again, the idea is this relationship is bigger than one person, uh, and we, we hold that sacred, but at the same time, uh, there are certain things that President Trump says that we find objectionable. The office does have to be respected, doesn't it? I, I think so, and look, I mean, uh, as I said, I'm not a fan of Donald Trump, but you certainly won't find me uh, at a protest. Uh, I respect people who want to make a protest who, who don't uh, think he should be here. I absolutely respect their opinion and their view and their right to protest, of course. But uh, that wouldn't be my take on things. And again, uh, I would be keep, keeping a watchful eye uh, on the very many people in this country who derive their livelihoods from uh, American foreign direct investment. And it's a really crucial part of the economy. Uh, and it wouldn't be my way of thinking to uh, to mess with that. You also have to feel, I think, for the Garda Siakana and the other uh, bodies who have just got over the papal visit and, and everything that entailed, and now all of a sudden this is put upon them. Yeah, well, it certainly will be a big uh, imposition. I just hope that they're well remunerated. I was at the papal visit, uh, and it was actually shocking to hear what the military people were paid, uh, a pit, absolute pittance, which to me was disgraceful. So, uh, yes, it is certainly a big operation, but I just hope they're well remunerated, and I think what happened during the papal visit was absolutely shocking. When I was looking around on the internet last night, uh, Larry, I came across an article in the Washington Post which quoted Eamon Ryan, who's going to join us later in the programme, amongst other people. But Irish Central and Neil O'Dowd from Drogheda is very much uh, part of the Irish Central story. They have a a poll running at the moment. Should Ireland welcome Trump? Now, allowing for the fact that a lot of their their readers are Irish-Americans, a big, big presence in the Irish-American community. Uh, Should Ireland welcome President Trump on his first official visit, they asked. 23% said he should be welcomed, 73% said he should not visit, and 4% don't care. Is that representative? Uh, I'm not so sure. You know, look, I I, I write for Irish Central as well from time to time. The the audience who would be reading and listening to that is varied. I mean, there are people on the right, people on the left, and there's a mix uh, so I'm not sure how much you can take from uh, that one poll. But look, uh, I think here in Ireland, the vast majority of people will uh, not look favorably uh, upon his visit. But I think that at the same time, uh, there will be a sense that, look, you know, we have a re- very good relationship with the U.S., one that is mutually beneficial uh, and one, again, to repeat myself, again, one that is bigger than one guy. Larry, thank you so much. That's Larry Donnelly there, the political correspondent with the journal.ie and a law lecturer in NUI Galway. We were discussing the Trump visit, which is proposed for November the 12th. Uh, he's going to go down and see his golf hotel down in Doombeg, as well as meeting with the various Irish dignitaries and politicians. 
that is reckoned, we believe, to be the day after our own new president will be inaugurated. So that will be interesting times for both of them. Now, if you are a soccer fan in me, you will know that over the weekend there was extensive damage caused to the dressing rooms at OMP United. If you go onto their Facebook, they will show you photographs of smoke damage to the roof, smoke damage to the front of the building, uh, and a number of items destroyed, including kit for their kids' teams. And there are very many kids' teams in OMP United. For those of you who don't know, by the way, OMP United is orchestral manoeuvres in the park. The club was formed in the 80s at a time when orchestral manoeuvres in the dark were very big. So that's a, a little bit of a history there. But Declan Jordan is on the line now, who is PRO with OMP United. Declan, good morning to you. Good morning, Paul. How are things? Give us an idea of what happened, please, Declan, because this is a very disturbing incident. Yeah, very disturbing for everyone involved in the club. Um, on t- um, Around one thirty yesterday morning, I was awoken to the calls uh, from the fire services looking for to gain access to the dressing rooms and um, telling me that there was that there was extensive damage being done by a fire. Um, all I can describe it is that some mindless thugs uh, dragged bags of rubbish wherever they got them, or I, I do not know. But uh, dragged bags of rubbish up to the up to the side of the dressing rooms, set them alight, and uh, the fire uh, eventually worked its way up into the the, the roof structure um, of the dressing rooms and uh, doing considerable amount of damage to the roof structure and uh, a lot of damage inside, and d- destroying um, three underage kits, footballs, training equipment, um, doing a lot of damage. You know, uh, we're totally disgusted. Uh, by by the event, you know, and this is this is clear from looking at the photographs. This wasn't an accident. This wasn't an accident. This was a pure arson attack um, carried out by what I would and and everyone has described as total, you know, thugs um, in 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 the area. You know, to do this, uh, it's not the first time we we have been um, the subject of arson attacks up there uh, in Blackcastle. Um, we've as I said we've over three hundred members in our club. Um, parents, everyone involved. Um, our club is really doing well. We've a fantastic full-time groundsman, and uh, the, like which was just commenting to me during the week how well the place was looking and everything, you know. And just to be destroyed like this over a few hours, um, it's just it's just incredible, you know, that 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 these type of people are out there, uh, you know, and and they, I don't know, I can't see what's done sense of enjoyment they get out of it, you know. It's a mindless attack, Declan. I mean, it's not just on, on, on the dressing rooms. It's an attack on every one of your members. It's an attack on... I mean, you have children from, what, four or five years of age playing soccer? Yeah, we have, we have children. We've taken children from five years of age, you know, right up to senior level. Um, we have loads of underage teams. Like, you know, the way we're looking at now is that uh, we've, we, we we possibly won't be able to put out um, three underage teams next next weekend because we don't have kids for them, you know. Um, and they're not, and I know from experience, they're not cheap. Uh, no, like, you know, a, a kit for a, for, um, for, for um, an underage team can, you know, can range from four to six, 600 euros, you know. Um, it's, they're not cheap, they're not cheap to replace. Like, we've, like, we're a voluntary club, we're voluntary people. Um, we give our time or effort to the club. Uh, we're, we're recently, in the last two years, after securing a, a lease on the grounds, where we are from Meath County Council, and you know that 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 alone was subject to nearly twelve thousand on legal fees just to, to gain that. Um, we have now everyone is saying we'll put a fence up around the place and all this. We have all in them plans in place. The fence has been ordered to to secure off the site, um, secure everything off, and that and that's a cost of thirty thousand euro. 
you know. Um, so which, this is this is the last uh, thing you needed. This this is the last thing we need on this, uh, you know, extra expense. You know, as I said, we're a weekly lotto there, and and you know we've a lotto committee there that work really hard. Um, you know, and try to keep the club afloat as much as we can. Um, but we seem to get to a stage every time and we just keep getting to be kicked, kicked back down, you know. Finally, Declan, what, what, I mean, somebody must know what happened here. Somebody has to have information on this and Navangardi, I'm sure, would be very interested to talk to them. Yes, uh, Navangardi, um, you know, they, they are, they're doing, they're continuing their investigations. Um, they're examining CCTV in the area of the Black Castle Shopping Centre. We believe that that uh, uh, and it's, we have evidence that that there was there was a group of young people uh, with a canister of petrol uh, seen in the Black Castle area at uh, between you know ten and eleven o'clock that night, um, and you know I uh, you know so I I'm going to let the Gardaí do their investigation. I have to be I have to be very um, complimentary of the. Of the the support we've got for the local community. Um, yesterday, my phone couldn't stop ringing. Uh, you've seen all the the cheers and everything we got on Facebook, the hits we've got on Twitter. Um, it's it, it's just incredible the local support we have, and uh, without that support, that's what gives us the, the the jump to get back up and keep going again. You know. Well, Declan Jordan, PRO with OMP United. Thank you for taking our call this morning. We're going to be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. And you're welcome back. 086-1800-658 is our text number. 086-1800-658. Also our number on WhatsApp and we are on Twitter at LMFM Radio is our Twitter handle. Now, Charlie Flanagan said, we are not hiring from North Korea or Russia. We are hiring an Irish policeman from a police service on her on our island. Those words spoken about the inauguration last night of the new Garda Commissioner Drew Harris. Joining me to discuss this is Kieran Deneen, Public Affairs Correspondent with the Irish One. Good morning to you, Kieran. Morning, Kyle. We are not hiring from North Korea or Russia. We are, though, hiring from the Northern Ireland Police Service. Is this a surprise? Was it a um, surprise? Yeah, well, it certainly has come to a surprise to, you know, um, a lot of the members of him, Gardner Shia you know, he's certainly a very um, experienced uh, police officer and, and, and a very talented one, but uh, there, there is a lot of questions um, around the appointment due to his uh, his his time in the PSNI and the RUC. Um, you know, Charlie Fraddingham does make a lot of good points, and one of the ones he has made is that, you know, the, the biggest threat uh, that both the, the new commissioner and Charlie Fraddingham have made is that the biggest threat uh, to the country is the uh, problem of dissident Republicans. Now, you know, obviously that is a huge threat, but uh, many people are wondering this morning why he didn't mention uh, other issues such as the um, the threat posed by the Kinahan drug cartel. So, you know, there is a question of it, 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 will, will Drew Harris be, you know, on the button to the all all of the issues that really, uh, you know, impact people here in, in Ireland. Just before we come back to Drew Harris, I mean, did they struggle to find a suitable internal candidate? I mean, in recent years, we've seen Noreen O'Sullivan and Martin Callanan resign from the position. I mean, did they struggle in this instance to find somebody internally? Well, I mean, there was uh, some very good candidates internally. Um, um, Pat Leahy was one that was, I guess, um, going for the job and was very close to getting the job. But uh, it does seem that there was some possible political, uh, you know, uh, will for an outside person to come in and to have a fresh uh, 
um, voice there but I mean the, the process was done by an independent body for the first time and there was good candidates from in, internally and externally too um, a top uh, cop from Canada was supposed to be the running too so uh, but in the end it was Drew Harris that they that they went for uh, you know his salary is, is 250,000 euro which is a lot more than it used to be and himself uh, is enjoying a rise up from 180,000 which is what he was on and the PSNI so there certainly was a lot of money on offer so there's no reason why uh, there wouldn't be a very good candidate going for the role Has the role been damaged of late Kieran? Well, I mean, uh, you know, he's he's taken over now after, um, you know, uh, two of his predecessors got embroiled in huge scandals uh, around um, how they dealt with a whistleblower and a number of other controversies, you know. Um, but, um, you know, it is important. I mean, the Justice Minister has made his point this morning that that Drew Harris has uh, a lot of response, a lot of experience and was a police officer on this island. But it is very important that we remember the voices of a number of the victims of the troubles who have who believe that this is the wrong appointment and say that um, the the PSNI and RUC in the past have have been more than unhelpful with them to try to get to the truth of some of the terrible atrocities uh, such as Stephen Travers of the Miami Show Band. I was going to say, you you wrote a very good piece in the in the paper in the Irish Sun the other day and, and you, you spoke to four different people on this, but Stephen Travers was one of them and Stephen, of course, was a survivor of that horrific Miami Show Band massacre. Stephen wouldn't be happy with this appointment. No, exactly. I mean, I mean, their point is basically that they have been searching uh, Stephen Travers and, and many other victims of the, of, of the, of the, um, the troubles have been searching for answers as to the role of the police uh, force in Northern Ireland and and, and as well uh, in some cases in, in the Republic here in in those atrocities they believe there was a failure of intelligence and in some cases that the um, intelligence services turned a blind eye or even worse uh, such as in the case of the Glenan gang and and the jackal uh, Robin Jack Jackson who was responsible for a number of uh, killings um, so they believe that the PSNI um, are, are, are stopping them from getting to the truth of many of these atrocities and that Drew Harris um, played a key role in that as being the number two of the organisation so uh, I've, I you know that that is a point that he uh, we are we are sure going to hear from him tomorrow when he when he meets members of the media. But um, and I'm sure he will um, he will say there's no truth at all in that. But um, you know they they certainly do have a, a point when they say that you know he ha- he has sworn today to to uh, the order the order of allegiance and the in the, the secrecy act down here and he, and he had also done that in a different force. So that does uh, raise a number of questions, definitely. And from his own background, his own father was killed by the IRA, Alwyn. Exactly, that's right. And, and, and he was uh, a ser- he was a serving officer when he was murdered. Yeah, I mean, uh, Stephen Travers has you know um, uh, his uh, through his reconciliation group has um, uh, a number of victims of the troubles have uh, talked about their issues at public meetings, and they have invited Drew Harris along to one of those public meetings to uh, talk about how that uh, how that um, had impacted on his own life and. They believe if he was to do that and he was to meet many of the victims that he would possibly understand their point of view a lot better. Closer to home, he also gave evidence at the Smithic Tribunal and, and, and basically alleged that there was collusion from forces in the South. Well, 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 exactly, and that's an issue that um, you know a number of the victims uh, have questions about as well as they as they seek to to, to find out um, you know the role of uh, police forces in, in the south and in the north in a number of atrocities and uh, 
you know, it is good. He, he has said today that transparency would be at, at the forefront of um, of his of his reign. So, um, I mean, I guess it is, this is his first day, so possibly we have to uh, take him at his word and see, uh, you know, what, what does transpire over the, over the next few years. Now, were you in Kevin Street at midnight last night, Kieran? No, I, I certainly was not. But um, yeah, but t- tell, he, us, tell us what happened in Kevin Street at midnight. It was very early in the morning that he was uh, attested, is the word that, that is used, and effectively sworn in as a new guard commissioner. And um, he signs the uh, Official Secrecy Act and, and switch allegiance really from uh, from Northern Ireland to to the Republic of Ireland when it comes to uh, heading up our police um, our police service. But why midnight in Kevin Street on a Sunday? Well, I mean, this, on, on was, Ireland final Sunday at that. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was uh, starting on, uh, on 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 that date, and that was the beginning of that date. So that is the argument they they will make. But um, we do know that he will. He has an armour to protect uh, due to his uh, role um, in in the north, and where he had quite a sensitive job and. Uh, Worked closely with the MI MI five at one time. He he is going to have twenty four seven round the clock protection as um, as a guard commissioner. So um, you know he's going to be heavily protected. Um, so possibly that was the reason why why they have decided to 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 do it so early. But uh, he will be meeting members of the media tomorrow. So uh, he certainly will be um, grilled on, on a number of issues, uh, including Just- the fact he doesn't yet have an Irish passport, but has has revealed he is. Uh, applying for one at the moment. Just before you go, Kieran, uh, today's the day Sean Gallagher will meet politicians, meet councils for the first time as he bids to seek a nomination. Were you surprised he's put his name forward for president? Well, it had been mooted for a long time that he would, you know, make an, another another run at it. And, um, you know, he does seem to have a very professional campaign and already appears to have a number of uh, local authorities uh, tied up. So uh, he seems to be an envy, the envy of the other Dragons then uh, contenders in the race. So um, he does he does have a lot going for him. He was he was ahead of Michael D. Higgins in the polls for a long time in 2011. But, uh, you know, it's, it's seven years later, so time will tell whether he can really um, make it... Make, make another challenge to uh, the incumbent. Interesting weeks ahead in the presidential campaign. Thank you to Kieran Deneen, public affairs correspondent with the Irish Sun. Now, if you were listening to us last week, you will have heard the story of the children of Kildalki who have failed to get seats on buses to school in Trim. Una Swords spoke to us twice last week about her own children, Quiva and Aoife. Aoife had been on the bus for four years, but was denied a ticket this year in Quiva going into first year at school, Wira in Trim. Couldn't get a ticket on the bus. Una joins us on the line this morning. Good morning to you, Una. Good morning, Harry Cahill, how are you? Uh, a, a twist in the story, you are walking from Kildalki to Trim, or the students are walking from Kildalki to yes, Trim this we morning. Are. Yeah, yeah, we're on the road at the moment, um, we're just actually coming into Trim. What time did you leave Kildalki? We would have left just about, uh, just before 8 o'clock. And how many children are involved and parents? Oh my God, there's a, there's a good gang here, um, I'd say there's about 50 of us here, yeah. yeah. And this of course, Una, um, oh, is... Sorry, there you go. Just confirming. <laughs> okay. There you go. Fair play, you know. They... I really need a bus. <laughs> vote for bus. Vote for bus or vote for us. The bus for us. Crying. Bus for us. Bus for us. You're you're no further down the road. Excuse the pun, are you? Uh, no, no, definitely not. We haven't heard anything from the minister as of yet. Um, but I believe we've had a good um, media um, file this morning. So hopefully, uh, you know, this will help things to move along. And 
we'll eventually get sorted out along uh, with a few other people around different rural communities that are also affected as well. And I'm sure you must have raised a few eyebrows on that road. That's quite a busy road, so I'm sure people in cars and trucks, etc., were wondering yeah, what was going we're, on. We're quite organised, I have to say. We've been very, very good at letting people by, I hope. <laughs> and uh, there haven't been too many people giving out about it, you know. But yeah. there's a lot, you know, it's quite twisty as well here, Carl, you know. So you've had to take it's it easy. Bend. Yes, yeah, you know, and try. And also we're very mindful, you know, we've got a lot, a lot of children with us. So we want them to be safe, you know, so everybody has a busy best on. It's never easy, Una, to get children to walk anywhere. So how did you persuade no. them? Or was it a, was it their idea? Um, you know, we, we just put it out there and all of a sudden it just kind of grew legs. And and uh, we were really delighted with the, the feedback and also the amount of people that actually came out early in the morning. Do you know what I mean? And decided that they were going to support because a lot of them, um, we've got a few primary school kids here too who will be affected next year if this isn't resolved. Um, you know, because the numbers are increasing all the time here in Kildalki. Now, I'm assuming walking from Kildalki to Trim is not something you want to do your children to do every day. Definitely not. Oh my God, it's country road. Uh, people speed quite quite a bit on it. Um, you know, there's no footpaths and obviously no street lights or anything like that and uh, it's dangerous you know there's always incidents of people because there's quite a number of bends in it people skidding um, even over the weekend their car was in the ditch you know what I mean so it's definitely you wouldn't be walking it so the, sure. this is not a feasible option what, what is no. what is going to happen next Una, do you think well I, I just hope now that um, Minister Halligan will kind of sit down and review the situation and look with favour on, on the people in Kildalki you know um it's, it's really, it is a struggle to get the children in and out to school for us because, you know, a majority of parents are working and stuff and you're trying to juggle work commitments as well. Um, so hopefully now things will, will move forward for us. Well, will you wish the kids the best of luck and thank them for, for their shout out for us there this morning? I will indeed, I will indeed. They've Bus. actually passed me now. Bye now, I have to catch up. <laughs> you better catch up. Bus for us, that's Una Swords, parent from Kildalki. Still no tickets for a number of children on the bus from Kildalki to Trim, but as you've heard there, the children themselves and their parents and supporters have walked from Kildalki to Trim this morning. And trust me, I know that road, that is not an easy task. We'll be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on LMFM. Good morning and thank you for joining us here on the Michael Reed Show. 086 1800 658, our text number and WhatsApp number 086 1800 658. And Marie will be in studio with us after 10 o'clock to discuss your comments on the various issues raised last week and indeed today. Now, a press release issued from the Irish Cancer Society revealed the very worrying news that inpatient fees and debt collectors are causing stress for cancer patients. Avril Power, who is the CEO of the Irish Cancer Society, joins us on this morning. Avril, good morning to you. Morning, Carl. Avril, we all know that cancer doesn't care if you have uh, millions in the bank or a health card or a, a medical card when it comes knocking at your door. Tell us, please, about those who don't have either health insurance or medical cards and what happens when they report for treatment. Um, well, day cases like chemotherapy or um, would be considered in, are liable for inpatient charges and that can cost €80 per hospital visit. They're capped at 10 visits, so that's 800 in a year, Um, but €800 is an awful lot for people who probably have a reduced income already because um, they've had to give up work or maybe uh, their spouse has had to take time off work to look after them and bring them in and out of hospital appointments. So this is an added, uh, added financial stress for people at a time when they're already have so much else to cope with, with the emotional impact of cancer diagnosis, the physical impact and all the other costs that also add up. And of course, you know, a, a chemo session can be very short, but it's still 80 euros. 
Oh, it could be half an hour. Um, we've the lady who's quoted in our press release today, Mary, um, was going in for a half hour injections, her septum injections, and was billed for each of them at eighty euro each. Um, she had been diagnosed with breast cancer at thirty two weeks pregnant um, with her daughter. So you can imagine how upsetting that was. She had to give up. Um, her husband had to give up work um, to look after her, so he suffered a loss in earnings. And then they're hit with these charges, and she she says it's just so stressful. You're dealing with your cancer treatment first as an expectant mom, then with a tiny baby, and trying to cope with what all that means. And then you start getting threatening letters about the charges. Because essentially, if if after seven weeks the charges aren't paid, the debt collectors are called in. Yes, yeah, so it's it's HSC national policy that if the charges aren't paid within seven weeks that they're uh, referred to a debt collection agency. Now, I think any of your listeners would know what, you know, they can imagine what it's like to get a letter um, threatening to be from a debt collection agency, particularly when you're already sick and going through a serious illness. So that causes real stress for people. There is a provision where the hospital can waive the charges in cases of excessive hardship but that's at the discretion of the hospital so it's kind of unclear what exactly is hardship and then that places a really unfair administrative burden on patients at a time when they really can't get their heads around filling in forms and making a case to the hospital and then coping with all that while also undergoing their cancer treatment. And I'm sure in Marie's case this came totally out of the blue. Absolutely just a big big shock on the Slauncha Care report Carl has recommended that government get rid of these charges and that's why we're calling on them to do it in the budget. Um, it's just unnecessary extra stress and fear for people at a time when they're already coping with too much. And you've been calling for this since 2015? We have. Um, we've been consistently highlighting over the last few years the various financial costs associated with a cancer diagnosis on the drugs payment scheme charges if you don't have a medical card description charges if you do have a medical card and the extra cost of patients face for parking in hospitals which in some hospitals are really excessive there's been some progress made on those issues over the last few years they did bring the drug payment threshold down a bit last year in the prescription charges but they haven't yet dealt with inpatient charges and that's what we're prioritizing it ahead of budget 2019. Now, in terms of your presentation to the budget, I mean, do, do you get to sit down face to face with the minister, or is it done through his department? Um, so we have our pre-budget submission, um, which we have sent in. I think we probably would usually get a meeting with the minister as well, so we'd expect to do that ahead of the budget. As the largest cancer organisation in Ireland, we would be we would usually go in and meet with him twice a year to lobby on these issues. And as the voice of patients, I mean, we have. Thousands of patients that ring our nurse line every year. We have a free cancer nurse line that's 1-800-200-700 to get advice from us and to let us know about the things that are causing them stress like this. And then we take those to the minister and we campaign for changes to be made for cancer patients. And of course, Avril, at the moment, cancer um, has been very much in the news with the cervical screening and the smear test uh, waiting lists. I mean, the number of calls to your helpline must be increasing. They have, and um, the cost of the helpline have increased 20% this year. That's as a result, direct result of the cervical check issue. We're also getting queries in other ways as well, obviously through our website and, and that too in our daffodil centres. We've um, daffodil centres to drop in free information centres in 13 ho- hospitals around the country. Um, so 
obviously that would have peaked at the time just after Vicky Phelan's court case in April. Um, but we're still seeing an increase compared to last year with people looking for information, advice, reassurance, and just to get the facts um, around that issue. We've also provided counselling um, in local cancer support centres around the country so that anybody who's affected by cervical check themselves or their family can get free counselling. Because it's, as it's, as the leading patient organisation, our concern around cervical check is to ensure that patients have the information and the reassurance that they need while also working with government to maintain faith in the service because cancer screening saves lives. And cervical check has saved so many lives over recent years, but understandably people have concerns and need to be reassured and the system needs to be fixed so that we have a truly world-class service. So we're working with patients and supporting them as much as we can. We're also working with government and we're represented on a steering group that meets every week over the summer to restore faith in the service and fix the problems that have arisen in cervical check. And just to conclude, Avril, I'm sure you would encourage women to get that check done. Absolutely. Um, any screening, whether it's breast check, cervical check, bowel screen, it's so important to get screened when it's due. Get can- catching cancer early is your best chance of survival. It makes a massive, massive difference. For the vast majority of cancers, if it can be caught early, it can be cured. Um, but for so many cancers, if, if it's not caught until stage three or stage four, the prognosis is terrible. So, you know, put the odds on your side, go for your screening. If you're a parent, make sure that your daughters get the HPV vaccine to protect them from getting the virus that causes cervical cancer in the first place. And would you just give us that helpline number again, please? It's 1-800-200-700. Avril Paris, CEO of the Irish Cancer Society, thank you for your time this morning. We'll be back with the news headlines after this. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. This is the Michael Reed Show, 086-1800-658, as always our text number, and we thank you for listening to the programme. Marie Cairns joins me with some of your comments. Marie, good morning to you. Good morning to you, Carl. Another well, big visitor coming to Ireland. Another big visitor, and we're, we're only over the Pope. We are indeed. And it's the poor guards and everyone else connected with this, the civil defence and the nurses and the Red Cross and... Because this is going to attract attention. Oh, and it will be some security operation, won't it? The bigger I can security. Imagine the, you'd, you'd imagine the bigger security would be around the protests as opposed to the actual visit itself. Well, that's coming in and not all negative against Trump, I have to say. Uh, and Jim got in touch and says, what a country we are becoming. A protest against the Pope, now a democratically elected president. Uh, says Jim. Kevin phoned in and Kevin says, I'm thrilled. Kevin was very, very excited put it mildly, that Trump is coming. He says, I'm over the moon. I can't wait. I'm hoping to meet him. I'm a big fan. I think he's a great man. He has stopped a nuclear war and he says that um, he, for one, will be out to welcome him. However, (laughs) Margaret from King's Court says that uh, Trump being allowed to come to Ireland, she thinks, is a disgrace. Who invited him? Why is he coming? Most people wouldn't appreciate that. I don't know. There's always an open invitation, isn't it, for the President of the United States? And the Kenny did invite him uh, when he was first elected. And uh, I think Leo Varadkar, the Department of the Taoiseach, were making out today that this has been mooted for some time, but it did take them by surprise on Friday. I, I was in the Sun offices on Friday evening. There was no inkling whatsoever that this was coming. And then at nine o'clock it was announced uh, Donald Trump is coming to Ireland. 
Yes, I think the Taoiseach must have got a phone call from well, he what I himself, can make he it. He said himself yesterday he was surprised. I yes, gave him the call. Yes, they yeah. are. They are going to meet in a couple of weeks' time at the United Nations. So it'll be interesting to see. Do they discuss the uh, little itinerary? Sean phoned in from King's Court, and Sean says, "I'm all for President Trump." Uh, Cahill's guest I was listening in that was to to Larry Larry. and he says we have a lot of American foreign investment in Ireland this visit is going to be shown all over America and we don't want to be sending out the wrong message we don't need to have people protesting on the streets Sean think it will give an awful impression and he says we have to remember the investment from America our personal view should not come into it this man is representing America. It's not about that one person. He is, but there's a conundrum because around Dunshockland, for example, as you know, where, where I live, there is huge investment just just beyond us from American multinationals. So the population in Dunshockland mm-hmm. is going to be increasing as those jobs come on stream. You'll see the same in Dunboyne, Ashburn, Rathoth. But on the other hand, I don't know of anybody in Mead who doesn't know somebody in America or isn't related to somebody in America who perhaps is undocumented and mm-hmm. has that cloud hanging over them. So yes. it's a conundrum. Yes. Well, Anne says that she is horrified at the thoughts of Donald Trump coming, that as far as she is concerned, he is not good news, that she doesn't agree with most of what he has uh, said or done in office. And she can't see the people of Ireland giving him a real warm welcome, the same welcome that was afforded to Barack Obama. So that's her thoughts and, on it. And even with Barack Obama, there were some people a little bit uneasy, but nothing like the level of discontent here. On the uh, appointment of Drew Harris and the fact that he was sworn in last night, another listener says that Mary got in touch and she says she's delighted uh, about his appointment. She thinks that this is just the kind of guard a commissioner that we need. Somebody from outside the state and wishes him all the best in the job. Well, certainly, if you look at the most recent two appointments to the position, uh, a cloud, would you say, would be over the job? Yeah, and it's the first time someone from outside of the estate has been appointed. So it will be interesting from that point of view to see how it works. And as we heard from Kieran Deneen uh, earlier, the first press conference tomorrow. Yeah, I thought it was unusual, though, that he, he was sworn in last night, so late at night. He said he wants to hit the ground running. It was officially one minute past midnight was the start That's of the right. job. That's right. And he wanted to get into the job. So and, an eager and, beaver. And he wanted to do it uh, on the beat, so to speak, in Kevin Street, which is one of the busiest guard stations in the capital city. On the school bus situation, and we heard the, the students there, we got, bus, uh, bus they were us. very vocal. Bus for us. Uh, we had a listener on the, the phone to say, it's an absolute disgrace what is going on re- regarding the school bus in Kildalki. Where What are the children going to do now, Cahill? They can't walk to school every day, no. and you did ask uh, Una there. How can they get to school, though, if parents are working? Some parents are not. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. In a position to drop their children to school, which is very true. And if you have a couple of children, you couldn't, and you're in the middle of nowhere effectively, uh, it would take a lot of your primary school children to get them all out. Carmel from Slane says that the bus air and school transport department is a joke. She says the same thing happens every September. The minister needs to sit down and to review the entire scheme and overhaul it. She says that this whole, um, you know, it's based on the fact that you have to go to your closest school and that's not always possible or feasible. Sometimes children, as another listener said to us the other day, they don't get a place in the local school. And especially in had, areas that are... Thomas Bourne in last week and he was making that very point, Deputy Thomas Bourne, that as the populations expand, as villages and new houses are being built all over the place, so then the demand for the local school increases. And if you're just outside the catchment area, you mightn't get the place. You mightn't get the yes. place in the school nearest to you. Uh, and then you've no seat on the bus. Yes. Helen phoned in on the same topic. And Helen says, Cahill, it's Kildalki this week, but next year... You don't know who it could affect, and that is the problem. Last year was Beliver, wasn't it? it? That's right. Mm. It boils down to how many students are looking for places on the bus. And if you have an area where maybe there was a new housing estate, you know, open so many years ago, and all the children are of the same kind of age group, and they're all kind of starting into school together, well, that's where the problem arises. And she also, I suppose she's concurring with the other listeners, that it really needs to be looked at. Well, good, a good, good move on behalf of the Kildalki parents to to uh, stage that protest this morning because that will get attention. Well, it should, and they're they're doing their best, I suppose, to highlight uh, the plight. Uh, another listener says that that road, and you mentioned that mm. I wouldn't be familiar with that particular road, but another listener says a very, very dangerous road. There is no way that you could expect children to walk that distance every day, but never mind the distance; it would be too dangerous mm. of a road. I suppose it's not like years ago either. People did walk long distance. You'd be a bit nervous at your. We used to cycle child. from from, from uh, Lagor down to. Mary Tallon's house we'd leave our bike in Mary Tallon's hen barn and we'd get this, the ordinary bus into Navin and uh, your bike would still be there when you came home and you wouldn't have locked it the chickens might have left a little egg for you or something but there'd be no uh, no security problems no problems cycling up and down the road and did it do us any harm? Well, I don't know, did it? <laughs> no, I'm sure I'm sure it didn't and it was good exercise. But it is change times, isn't it, Cahill? Uh, another listener in touch regarding uh, your, your interview there with Averill Power mm. of the Irish Cancer Society. And just to say that I'm shocked at this to think of debt collectors chasing cancer victims. I've raised a huge amount of money for cancer over the years and I just think this is unbelievable. Where is the compassion when anyone 
anyone is diagnosed with cancer, they should automatically get a medical card and that comes in from Deirdre. So you couldn't really argue with that, well, could a- you? Averill and, and the Irish Cancer Society are highlighting the case of, of a, a girl called Marie Moran who at 32 weeks of her pregnancy discovered that she had breast cancer and then to have all of that and then seven weeks after the bill arrives, if you haven't paid it, the debt collector comes knocking. Yes. The stress. And, and one of the biggest problems and, and, and cancer patients, Mickey Hart was only talking about this last week, one of the biggest problems for cancer patients is stress. It doesn't help them no, at all. No, no. So. Well, look, we'll finish on that one, Cahill, for the moment. I have a quick one for you. Uh, Jim and Nathan says that with all the money that was spent on Pope and the Trump visit, wouldn't be better if the government put the money into housing, health and education, says Jim and Nathan. We're going to be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. And you're very welcome back to the Michael Reed Show, 086 1800 658, our text number. If you were listening last week, you will have heard us on a couple of occasions discussing the closure of 159 post offices across the country. This has been described as another blow to rural Ireland, the uh, unpost. Thesis was based on the fact that a community would have 500 or less residents and there would be alternative post office service within 15 kilometres. Joining to discuss all this and his party's opposition to the move is Deputy Timmy Dooley, who is the Fianna Fáil spokesperson on communications. Good morning to you, Deputy. Good morning, Cahill. Were you surprised at 159 or was this something that they had highlighted and flag posted? Well, I had been aware that uh, an offer had been made to about 390 postmasters and postmistresses throughout the country offering them a, a voluntary a redundancy package, if you want. Uh, and that I, think, I think retirement agreed. retirement was the word the post office used, uh, wasn't it? Retirement stroke redundancy because, I mean, it's it, 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 it's a vexed position. Uh, as such, these postmasters and postmistresses are not direct employees as such uh, of one post. Um, so there are some people who, so, so I suppose it could be maybe better termed uh, a termination payment, termination of the contract. Um, but in any event, there's a hundred a hundred and odd sixty, close to hundred and sixty that are um, have taken up the offer, and there may be others over the coming years that will do so. Because what we what we recognise is there's quite a few of the post offices in the smaller villages uh, around Ireland that are no longer, uh, and I use the term guardedly, commercially viable. Um, on post looks at viability in terms of profit and loss as is its mandate as a commercial semi-state company, but the reality is that uh, through the post office a very important state service is provided Um, and whilst there's a lesser number of people using it people have gone online uh, people are now getting their social welfare payments into their bank accounts and they're entitled to do that but for those who don't want to do that or for whom it's not the best way for them to do business it's my view that the service needs to be maintained to facilitate them and I don't believe that transferring the service 14 or 15 kilometres away is appropriate, particularly to the vulnerable, um, the elderly, uh, and people who most need uh, the help of the state in accessing services. And of course, the post- from, from a Fianna Fáil perspective, rather than jumping up and down uh, and giving out about this, as always, we have sought to try and find solutions. And we've been working on a number of ideas for some time now. And we think the most appropriate way of dealing with this is to ensure that the post office service is still delivered in these areas, um, perhaps in cooperation with the existing shop or some other business, to co-locate the two facilities together. But is it, is it not too late, Deputy, to, to stop the closure of these 159 post offices, seven of which we know are in Meath and one in Louth? Have you yeah, missed I, the, I, have I, you missed the I, boat I, on this? 
No, I don't think so. Um, we had to wait to see who would um, effectively seek to take the termination payment, and we now know that that was that was concluded at the end uh, of July, um, and we now know the, the the locations. And it's now for the government, in my view, to bring forward a policy to retain the service in these areas, albeit a different service to what was there before. But yes, available. It can be and should be delivered through other local businesses or in a, a, a local shop uh, with the same service available. We don't need all the bells and whistles that the Minister is talking about. What I'm hearing from people in these communities is, leave us what we've had. We don't need all these enhanced services at some location 15 or, 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 or more kilometres away. What we need is basic access to the social welfare payments and to the post office services that were already there. That can be done, and in my view, it should be supported by um, an, an intervention by the state by way of an annual sub- subvention from Central Exchequer to one post to provide what is an essential service. It happens in other countries throughout the Western world. It happens with other services that the state provides where they're not commercially viable. The state steps in. Uh, and provides from central taxes some money so that the service to ensure the service is delivered. But would it not be reasonable, Deputy, to assume that the UNPOST, which, as you stated yourself, is a semi-state authority and is, is charged with making a profit, is it not reasonable to suspect that they have discussed this with the government and they have told the Fine Gael-led government as to their plans for these closures? I assume so, and that's why I'm somewhat disappointed that Minister Nachton, who uh, represents the rural community, has failed to put forward an alternative. I, I accept that there's a commercial mandate to a semi-state company like Unpost, uh, but no difference... But does, does it really matter if Unpost makes one euro in profit or 100 million in profit? Well, it does. It's a good return for the state if they make 100 million, but the, the, but for the people in the village who, who need the service, there has to be a model found to do that. Now, in other countries, uh, that's done by way of a subvention being given the post office provider. We do it in relation to our transport services as well. CIE and this group of companies are independent and have a commercial mandate, but at the same time the state from Central Exchequer transfers money every year to ensure that non-viable services, non-financially viable services uh, are, are, are provided and meet the needs of the consumer. Like The post office service is just that. It's a service uh, it's not just some commercial nice to have. Um, people who uh, get their pension every week, people who depend on social welfare to survive, they need to get access to that money. Um, and putting a, an additional burden on them to travel up to 15 kilometres, many of whom won't have access to private transport, and there certainly isn't public transport uh, dotted throughout rural Ireland. So, I mean, a bit of common sense here. It, it's not a huge amount of money. The estimate to retain the current 159 uh, with with a level of service uh, is probably less than eight million. Um, that's not a lot on an annual basis, and I'm not suggesting willy nilly spending uh, taxpayer, hard pressed taxpayers' money um, unjustifiably. But I, I believe it's justified to maintain the service. How do you how do you propose to fund the eight million? Fund the eight million from Central Exchequer. Subvention. Subvention. Can you, I mean, the budget, we're led to, I think, is it October the 9th, is budget day? You essentially, as Fianna Fáil, are propping up this government. Can you bring this government down over this? Oh, sure. Look, we can bring the government down any day of the week we want on any issue, but I don't... Are, are you prepared to bring it down over post offices? Well, 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 what we have to try and do is find a solution for the 159 villages. Bringing down the government on the budget will not save the post offices. That's a fact. 
you can have an election on any issue on any one day. What we're about is trying to come up with a credible solution that will see the post office services maintained in these villages. So what so, do you do when the government say, no, we're not going to do that? Well, I'm hoping that that won't happen. I'm hoping that Minister Nachton, through his department, will come up with a policy change that we can help and support through the budget negotiations to ensure that the appropriate funding is put in place to support uh, the subvention that's needed to maintain a service in these uh, rural and, and, in some cases, isolated areas. And when do you think you'll get to sit down with the Minister and discuss this? Well, the Minister is coming before the committee tomorrow, as you probably know, together mm. with UNPOST, uh, and we'll get a chance at that stage to hear from him in terms of, of, of how he intends to address um, the, the significant impact that these closures will have uh, on those communities. And finally, Deputy, could you just tell us, do you expect any of those 159 post offices to be saved? I'm very hopeful that many of them can. For sure there are some, and I've met people in locations who recognise that there's so few transactions happening in a number of post offices that it's it's just not it's not a viable prospect at all to even try to co-locate um, with an existing shop. In some cases, there may not even be a shop to co-locate. So for sure, there are some uh, post offices that will close. But in my view, uh, there are many locations that are still viable communities um, that want and, and need this service. And uh, it's, it's in my view now, it's up to the government to come up with a plan to make that happen. And we'll certainly facilitate and help in every way we can. Deputy Timmy Dooley, Fianna Fáil spokesperson on communications, thank you for giving us your party's opinion on the closure of the post office. And you heard Deputy Dooley there say there are many villages where perhaps other businesses could take over the role of the post office and we'll be interested in doing that. Tonight in Ratmaline in the Parish Hall, there is a meeting at 8 o'clock to try and save the post office. Ratmaline, one of seven post offices in Meath, which will close under the UNPUST proposal. Joining me now to discuss this is local shopkeeper Christy Ryan. Christy, good morning to you. Good morning. You operate across the road from the post office, is that correct? That's correct, yes. So you're well aware of the of the, the community aspect of this post office, of the people who come in and out the door every day, of the service that they avail of. To lose that post office for a community like yours is a blow. Oh, absolutely. It's a huge blow to the community. Like It's another closure of let us say, our small community as it is. But like, I mean, we're, we're just losing too many things. It's like the public transport and like our, our post office is another part of that, you know. And in many cases, for, for elderly people particularly, it's not feasible to travel up to the 15 months. I mean, wh- where are they proposing is, is the local alternative to Ratmaline? Well, they've suggested to uh, most of the people in Ratmaline that Summerhill would be the next location. But for somebody that's elderly, that's, you know, last Friday morning we had five people standing in our shop that have no transport and they have to depend on uh, either hiring hiring transport or some other way of getting over to somewhere and getting back. Um, it's a terrible blow to them type of people, you know. Correct me and if I'm wrong, Chrissy. In our, in our rural community, we have, now, yeah, our, our community stretches out up near Rakor back over near Longwood and all that. It's a, very, it's a big hinterland in it's, it's a It's a big parish, isn't it? It's a big parish, yeah. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, there, there's no bus from Ratmaline to Summerhill? There's no, there, there's a local link now at the moment, mm. you know, which is which goes up in the morning and uh, and then, it, then it, it comes back in the evening time. So you wouldn't so want to be going up, you wouldn't want to be going up to collect your pension, for example, and then wait around and yeah. come back on the local correct. link? No, correct. No, no, but I think the man now that... Uh, 
there's doing that there is a bus comes there on Friday morning, and uh, luckily he has suggested that maybe he might collect the people in Rappaline, bring them onto Summerhill because they go on to Navan to do a bit of shopping, you know, and then he'd bring them back to Rappaline. But I mean that's that's going to be, you know, from we'll say nine o'clock until three. Give us an, a, a feeling for the the reaction within the community, Christy. I mean, you're at the heart of it there. Well, just look, look, look. For everybody that's coming into our shop, you know, the elderly especially are, are very disappointed. You know, um, in in our from our end of it here, you know, it, it, it's just a huge disappointment right across the board. They, they don't think it it needs to be done. You know, like I mean, it's it's there's there's certain, there should be more things put into the post office to generate more business for the post office, you know, and to make it more viable is, is the feeling by most people, you know. No, and, um, I've, I've, uh, but, but the general feeling from the public is that they're, they're very, very disappointed. I have two know, questions for you, Christy. One, first of all, in relation to the, the population, because they've made the point that the population has to be 500 or less in terms of a post office that's going to close, but are there roughly 100 houses being built in, in Ratmaline as we speak? Approximately, yeah. Well, at the moment, there's a new development across the road there and there's 22 houses going in that and then there's a further application for 70-odd behind that again. You know, so you're looking at, in the next few years, 100 houses, you know. Um, like, I mean, people are saying about the population of the village, but our village is bigger than just the village. It's the hinterland and the people around us that use the village, you know. Like, I mean, it's, it's, they're missing that point all the time. That, you know, they're the people that use our post office as well, you know. We've also heard, as I'm sure you will have heard there from, from Deputy Timmy Dooley, who's the Fianna Fáil spokesperson on communications, that on post may may have to look at alternative uh, shopkeepers, etc., taking over the role of the post office. Is there elements of the post office business that you yourself and your business would like to take on or would be interested in taking on? Oh, well, absolutely, there would be. There's no doubt about that. Like, I mean, it's... It's about providing a service to the public and a loyalty to your local community. You know, this is this is the part that would worry is worrying me most. You know, we need to be serving uh, servicing our local community. And like, I mean, from my end, like, I mean, what I can do to help, I am a hundred percent behind that that idea. You know, so in a small way at the moment, in, in while this discussion is going on. You will be able to do your bill pay with us. You will be able to buy stamps and, you will, you know, stuff like that. We can, we can do that for people, you mm-hmm. know, because have, you need you need it in your community. Have you had any communications yet from Unpost? I have indeed, yes. I have spoken. So, so, so you're hopeful that something might happen? Well, I'm not saying, like, I mean, initially they're saying that it's closing and that's it and there will not be... They will not be uh, giving. They will not be giving out a new contract to anybody new, you know. So that's why we have to. At the moment, we have to pick on what services we will be allowed to do, you know, and, and they wouldn't be under contract. And that wouldn't presumably that wouldn't be everything that the post office has offered up to no, now. Absolutely, pensions and stuff like that. Like, I mean, that that money end of it, we wouldn't be allowed. Okay. Uh, we wouldn't be allowed to touch that at all, you know. Well, Christy Ryan, thank you so much for your time this morning. As you heard, there's a meeting in Rappaline Hall. Correct. Tonight from just was, to let you know. I was just about to mention it. <laughs> yeah, good man. Okay, I'll leave that to you. No so. problem at all. So okay, 8, that's eight o'clock tonight much. in the parish hall. Thank you, Chris. Christy there. 8 o'clock tonight in the parish hall in Ratmaline, a meeting to try and save the post office in Ratmaline, one of seven post offices to close in Meath. We'll be back after this. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. 
The text line, as always, for the Michael Reed Show, 086-1800-658. The same for WhatsApp, 086-1800-658. And we're across Twitter at LMFM Radio. We do thank you for your time this morning. And if you have a comment, we would appreciate it. And we will get around to it tomorrow when Marie comes in after 10 o'clock. Now, today in Navan Meath County Council will vote on their uh, recommended candidate for the presidential election. The various candidates put forward uh, their case for nomination last week, but today is the vote. But of more interest to many of the local residents will be the proposal to increase local property tax by 15% for the county in 2019. A report on the Me Chronicle website by Paul Murphy says that 68,300 property owners could be facing this 15% increase in local property tax if a proposal by the county's chief executive officer, Jackie McGuire, gets past the county council today. Going to that meeting and joining us now to discuss this are Councillor Darren O'Rourke, Sinn Féin Councillor, and Fianna Fáil Councillor Wayne Hardy. Darren, good morning to you, first of all. Good morning, Carl, um, and, and thanks for the opportunity to, to discuss this. I, I think you're right, it will be very important to a lot of your listeners uh, in County Mead because of the, the potential impact it will have on them. And um, I think at the outset, you know, the, the county manager has, has made her case in relation to why she's seeking the funding, and I don't think any of us are going to... Um, deny that that the county is starved of funding. It's chronically underfunded and has been for for some years. Um, We in Sinn Féin have had a consistent position in relation to the property tax. We believed at the very outset that it was ill-conceived and more than that, that um, it was poorly thought through and that it wouldn't serve the purpose that uh, the government at the time said that that it would. Um, And I think we're, we're being proven correct in relation to that because, in fact, um, despite having an additional uh, demand on, on taxpayers in the county funding to local government, relatively speaking, when you take out uh, some things that happen have happened in the meantime, relatively speaking, um, local government is, is even worse funded now than it was before the local property tax was introduced. And, and Mead County Council... Um, is is very considerably affected by that because we are the worst funded council in the state per head of population, bar none. And that has a direct impact on services that can can be provided right across the county. You know, and people will come to to all the councillors making reasonable requests and we will do our best to to advocate on, on their behalf. But very often it's the case that the funding simply isn't there. And I think the suggestion from Mead County Council that the solution to that um, is to heap more of a, a burden onto taxpayers is just Im- completely incredible, in my opinion. I think I think it's ludicrous. Uh, taxpayers in County Mead, in general terms, you know, we pay our VAT, we pay our income tax, we pay our road tax, the same as everybody else. In property tax terms, we pay above the average. Um, despite that, we're at the bottom of the pile in terms of, of central government funding and no. in terms of local government funding. So, so I just think it's it's completely incredible that the go, that that the county manager would suggest that we, we need to increase uh, and, and and keep a burden on 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 property taxpayers. And I think more than that, and I hope it's not going to be supported by by other parties, and it certainly won't be supported by, by Sinn Féin. I think it mi- completely misses the point. Because well, I'm just going to bring in Councillor Wayne Harding for a second. Councillor Harding, good morning to you. Hi, Carl. Will you support this motion? No. Um, we won't, as a party, uh, support any increase. Um, the burden is there. Um, we do understand 
um, that services have to be provided. I agree with a lot of what Darren is after saying, an awful lot of it. Um, he's right about the burden on people, but we have to provide services as a county. And he is right about the decreased uh, central funding. I spoke with the, our spokesman in Fianna Fáil, Shane Castles, this morning ahead of our interview, and they are lobbying hard to increase the central funding that has been diminishing under, under the Fine Gael government. But um, we also, and, and Darren is, is correct in a lot of things, but we have to deal with Stormophilia and the the frontline services, the motor tax that Darren talked about that that people pay, that's no longer going into the local government fund. That's going into the central exchequer. So there's there's money being moved around and it's not dropping down to the to the frontline services for vulnerable people in homes. But um Darren is tripping out the old the the same line. Just for a second a minute in in terms of your ability to affect change in this and you say you're going to vote no today, but Shane Castle for example, is going to sit in Dáil Éireann and you are propping up this Fine Gael government. So if, go- if government funding to meet county council is the problem, you have a real power in this. Absolutely, and I agree with you. And 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 that uh, and that is what we're going to do as a party. Um, I'm I'm not I'm not supporting, and, and our party are not supporting an increase today, as as is Darren's. But you're supporting right, the government. Right, so. You're supporting the government who has cut the funding to the council. Yeah, well, we we you know you know the confidence and supply agreements that was the, that was good for the country, and you are exactly correct. Exert exert that uh, pressure to to increase funding to local authorities from central government. I agree totally with you. But will you take the government down? I've already asked Deputy Dooley this in terms of the closure of the post offices. How far are you prepared to push on this? Well, I'm I'm not a, a TD. I'm a I'm a, a Fianfall councillor, and um, that that will happen at all level. But I do think there is stormy water ahead because these are the type of issues that are going to the post offices, uh, local property tax. They're the things that are going to come to the crunch. And and you are right to tell tell we are. Uh, as you said, propping up the government. Well, it's confidence and supply, we call it. Um, but yes, we have power and we need to use it. Councillor O'Rourke, I'm looking at the figures here in, on the Me Chronicle. So if somebody with a house value between 150 to 200,000 is looking at a, almost 50 uh, euros, 47.25 to be precise. Uh, and that goes up as far as uh, houses valued 950 to a million. And there are some houses in Me valued at more than that, uh, at 263 euros of an increase. Is 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 there a reason why Meath County Council are is this deficit entirely due to government funding? Well, principally, I'm of the opinion that that it most certainly is. You know, Meath County Council has a big job of work. It has lots of services to, that it's supposed to provide, um, and as Councillor Harding has said, there it's it's you know we've had a a tough winter in terms of the various storms and and. Uh, um, the, the you know the 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 requirement to and the council the council couldn't have planned for that snow and the damage that it did to the roads exactly exactly so so that that puts extra pressure on the on on their financial resources and, and it puts them and, and in fairness in, in Mead County Council they did a, a sterling job in relation to that and drew on on lots of resources and and local contractors and that sort of thing but the truth of the matter is. We need to look at this in the round, and that's my frustration here. We come every September, um, and we have a conversation about three percent of the council budget. And the truth of the the, the the matter is that that's all the influence in terms of the the reserve functions that both myself and Wayne have as as councillors. That's the only influence we have over the budget in terms of control of it. Is, is that is that a fair statement, Wayne? Yes, I agree with him. Yeah. Ninety-seven percent of the budget is is outside of our control, and it's 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 within the department, and it's at the cabinet table, and it's in the power of the of the ministers. And I think 
you know, politics is about choices. And I was thinking about it this morning in terms of, you know, this is a government that doesn't seem capable to understand the complexities of the health system, of the housing system. And I think you can add to that the local government system, because, you know, I I have a deep appreciation as a councillor of the importance of the work that local government do. I can see the effort that is put in there, but I can also see how they are stymied in their work. And, and I understand deeply the, the frustration that local residents have in terms of the, the failures that they see in, in the council. But I can, I, I can see both sides of it. And I, I just think the really important point in, in terms of this debate is that we don't get bogged into a plus or minus 15% of, the, of the, the, the local property tax because the truth of the matter is that this is a far bigger problem and it sits in the department and it sits with the ministers and it sits at the cabinet table. So when the government make policy decisions in terms of what their priorities are, they need to appreciate the importance of the, the, the function and role of, of local government. So there won't be... I'm going to come back to Councillor Harding for a quick second, uh, Darren. Councillor Harding, you don't expect this to pass, do you? No, I don't. I, I, I would, I would hope not. And um, I haven't spoken to the other parties, but I know Darren's after stating his uh, party's stance, and I'm after stating mine. And I doubt, I doubt if this will, if this will be increased. No, Councillor Nick Killian has called on all forty councillors to reject this. He's called it utter madness. Well, he's right. And and um, while I while I do agree with most of Darren and what he said, he is traipsing out the lines about um, that that Sinn Féin do, which is everything's wrong. But I don't know what his answers are. Well, what's your answer? No, well, well, we 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 stated clearly every year. So we recognise that there is a need for. Uh, you know, increased revenue to provide public services. I'm committed uh, as, you know, inherently in my politics, my my worldview is that, you know, we need to provide decent public services. I work in the health services. I understand the importance of that. Um, my wife works in education. We understand the importance of that. So, so we need to invest in, in, in public okay. services. We get all of that. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. But I, I just have to very quickly ask Councillor Harding, first of all, Sean Gallagher is now in the presidential election. You guys are going to vote today on your nomination. Are you still backing Sean Gallagher? Yes, I am. And I think there's support within my party. There's no whip, so people will be going in there to make up their own minds. But um, he, would, he would have substantial support within Fianna Fáil um, on, on the benches. But not, not all, I don't think. Is it too late for him, to get, no the, no, is it too no late for him to get the nomination today? Um, From will, he get me, will he get me? Yes. I, I can't predict that, but I can tell you how I'm voting. And a number of my colleagues are doing the same. I don't know about the other parties, so... so um, and I, I assume that Darren's party will abstain because they're putting a candidate into the ring. So I, I would sit, I would think it's my my gut feeling is that that Gavin Duffy may take Mead, but I but I wouldn't be certain. But I'd be supporting Gallagher. Thank you for that, Councillor Wayne Harding. Finally, to you, Councillor Darren O'Rourke. No candidate announces yet. Uh, it's not yourself, is it? No, it's it's certainly not. No, and and we have a process. I know that the party has a think in and and Gavin today. Um, yeah, we, we have a process. We'll be selecting a candidate in, in mid-September. We will be abstaining from the vote today. won't be opposing any of the, of the candidates, but, but won't be supporting them either. I think that just is a logical kind of outworking of, of our own position. So um, that's where we're, we're on the issue. Thank you to Councillor Darren O'Rourke from Sinn Féin and Councillor Wayne Harding, Fianna Fáil Councillor on Meath County Council. Meath County Council today will discuss this proposal to increase property tax by 15% and also the Council's support for a nomination for President. We'll be back after this. 
And you're welcome back to the Michael Reed Show. Cahill Dervin of the Irish Sun sitting in for Michael today. 086-1800-658, 086-1800-658. And already a number of listeners animated about that conversation about property tax increase proposals going to me, the County Council, this afternoon. You heard there from two of the councillors who are both going to vote against it now. Minister Dennis Nocton has said that the National Mitigation Plan is not working on climate change. Joining us to discuss this and the impending visit of President Donald Trump is Deputy Eamon Ryan, leader of the Green Party and TD for Dublin South. Good morning to you, Deputy Ryan. Carl, good morning. Let's start with climate change. I, I do want to ask you about President Trump in a few minutes, and I'm fascinated to hear your comments on the proposed visit. But Minister Dennis Nocton saying that the National Mitigation Plan is not working. Would you agree with him? Yes. No, it's, it, it's, it's absolutely correct. It's, uh, we're heading in, as the head of the Climate Advisory Committee said, we're heading, in the wrong, we're heading rapidly in the wrong direction. We're completely off course. And we need to change. And I think the change is going to be a change for the better. Our economy will actually benefit, our society will benefit, in my mind, by making the changes we need to make. So it's not a kind of hardship thing. It's not a kind of shame people, make them feel guilty and kind of put all the onus on the individuals. I think it needs government action to change our country in the direction of a sustainable model. And I think doing it is going to suit us. Ireland is and can be and will be good at going going green. But we need to change, as as the Minister himself says, it's not working at the moment. We've spoken about this on this programme before, and I know you've spoken to Michael on many occasions, Deputy, but just just remind us what we're, what we're signed up to. Well, we're signed up to effectively, under the Paris Agreement, we want to keep rising global temperatures below two degrees, and if we can, below one and a half degree rise. Um, and that's in our own interest, because, you know, we don't, runaway climate change would really threaten our very future so it's, it's in our interest to try and keep to that safer lem- levels um, and effectively to do that by the middle of this century about two and a half three decades away we have to completely decarbonize we have to take the pollution out of our economy completely and that means we have to change into our transport system or into our food system or into our industrial system our waste system uh, our energy system and it effectively means taking out the oil, taking out the gas, taking out the coal, taking out the peat. So we have to turn to other sources of energy and we have to manage our transport system and our food system in a way that is really clean. And, and, taking, out, and taking out the oil would mean taking out a very large multinational presence in terms of the, the corporations that run the oil industry. Is there a willingness to do that? Well, taking out the Russian and Saudi oil and replacing it with Irish local energy, which would create much more jobs here at home and keep the money here at home, thats I don't see that as a hardship. I think that's a good direction. And we do have, I mean, the, the taking out the oil out of our cars will be possible because electric vehicles are going to become the most standard, the better vehicles. They're going to be better cars. They are better cars. Um, moving towards a system where we really promote public transport and really promote cycling and walking and make it healthy to, and safe to be able to walk and cycle, that will help us become fitter and healthier and it creates a more stronger sense of community. So I don't see that as a negative. And in food and in how we manage our land, um, we don't need to be big digging up peat. We don't need, we can and should have a whole new forestry system that creates really attractive forests that provide us shelter, provide really high quality wood, provide us, you know, and then you store but that we have, in our building. We have missed our targets on that, haven't we? Well, we're completely going in the wrong direction. And, and, uh, and under Fine Gael, they, they're all about 
doubling food or doubling the dairy herd and so on, which is part of the problem. They are all about big new roads everywhere, which is seeing a sprawl out, which is bringing less community in my mind. So this will go back to the key point that making the shift is not a hardship. It's just doing things differently. And I think a better way. In terms of public reaction, I mean, the public will say to you they, they, they like their diesel cars or they like their petrol and whatever. Do you find people are changing or are, are they buying into this idea that we, we've missed the boat? I think they're starting to see it this summer, particularly because the weather has been so, and not just this summer, but the last year, we're starting to see some of the extremes come happening, not just here, but all over the world. And I think um, I think we have learned a lesson, I hope, in the environmental movement. We need to stop putting it on people as a sense of guilt or a sense of shame or put all the responsibility in them in terms of... And we need to make it easy for people to do the right thing. And I'm hoping as that message gets through, as as we start creating a public transport system that works or as we start uh, investing in buildings, new houses or retrofitting houses, which are not only cleaner but also then more comfortable... I, I'm, that's my job is I suppose to get the message out that actually going green is going to be good for us and I think I'll be honest in terms of I think that in the last five ten years that kind of that the tide has been out on that kind of view of the world but I think it's turning and coming back in and I think um, the increasingly as you see I mean just last week California said and California is one of the leading economies in the world they said that in the next 20 years they're going to get rid of all oil and gas out of and coal out of their power system. They want to go 100% renewable. Um, when you see com- economies like that, which is very much kind of the leading economy in the world, when you see China's going even faster and further, when you see Germany is actually starting to take this seriously, I think we'll start to wake up and realize we have to be careful here. If we don't join this change, if we're not part of the change, we will miss out on the industrial revolution that is taking place. We will be the people who will actually be paying catch up and that'll cost us more. And I think so it's a, it's a, the whole issue about climate change. It's not just as a challenge, as a fearful thing. It's actually an opportunity that we should grasp, I think, as a country. And is this something the government needs to move on when the doll comes back into terms? Well, we have a new committee which has just been established. We we pretty much helped get it established, the Green Party, and uh, it has the task by the end of this year rewriting a new national energy or helping the government rewrite a new national energy and climate action plan. And I think... So this is the most interesting, from my mind, from a green perspective, the next three months are critical and the doll has a central role in in reconsidering the approach we take. And I'm very much looking, looking forward to that. Now, of course, in the next three months, we're going to see a visit from the President of the United States, if we're, we're led to believe that on November the 12th, Donald Trump will touch down, presumably in Dublin, perhaps in Shannon, if he wants to go to Doonbeg, first of all. But... When I was researching the programme last night, I came across an article in the Washington Post, of all places, which you were quoted in, which just shows you the global reaction to this story. No, it's huge. And I think that behoves us to get out and to and to turn up in numbers. I mean, and I think big numbers. Unfortunately, President Trump tends to kind of, uh, he puts a lot of attention on what are the numbers. I think if we can turn up in large numbers, and not in a hateful or dismissive or kind of adding to the anger or kind of divisive world, I think we need to do it in a way that's uniquely Irish, which is respectful, which is in a tradition. We have a long tradition of peaceful protest going right back to O'Connell and his monster rallies. It's that type of thinking I think we need just to say to the world, 
We do not agree in a world where you ignore climate change, which is one of the things he's doing. He's, they're the biggest polluter and they're absolving themselves of any responsibility and that's just plain wrong. And that's not just in their interest, that's in our interest. We have every right to, to protest. But also that you do not treat refugees where you separate mother from child and father from, from child, that you do not abandon the Palestinian people in Gaza, that you do not start engaging in these continuous trade wars where he's effectively attacking the European Union and others, that we need a world where there's collaboration and consensus. So if we turn up, and I think it's going to have to be very visual, I think we have to do it in our own way. Um, do you think I, it will happen, though? I mean, you've called for the government to cancel the visit. Well, I... Yes, I mean, the visit is happening clearly. They ha- the government have a whole variety of choices. Um, they can do the full state visit, or, or they could, and I don't think this will happen, although they might have the numbers with Sinn Féin and Fianna Fáil, uh, as well as Fianna Gael, welcoming the visit. They might have the numbers for Donald Trump to present, uh, give a speech in the Oireachtas, which is what we typically do for American president, which we did going right back to Kennedy, was Reagan, that kind of honour is granted. I don't think we should uh, grant that in this case. I would prefer if he didn't. If I prefer if it was a visit like the one George Bush had in the uh, 2004, where again I think because of protests at that time he didn't go to Dublin. He just went down to County Clare. But I think that's less likely in this instance. Donald Trump clearly wants to have that meeting with Taoiseach and the meeting with the president to give out a message that he's this great kind of a diplomat on the word stage, striking deals everywhere and how everyone loves him. Well, if that happens. I think we should meet on a con street or meet in College Green and uh, and in such numbers that anyone could see from abroad, and particularly our cousins and our family and our friends in America, in America. Deputy, Irish people are standing up against that. Deputy Eamon Ryan, I have to cut across you, I'm afraid we're running out of time, but thank you as always for your contribution to the programme. My thanks to Marie and Maggie and Chris. The Mid-Morning Show is next. We'll be back tomorrow. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie.